Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. My name is Peter Engler. We exist to respond to the questions you don't feel comfortable asking in church. I'm also so thankful for uh, Nathan Yoder, our fantastic producer. And today we are bringing on Ben Sturdenke. Uh, He'll share a little bit more about himself, but he's from uh, Gravity Leadership, which also includes the Gravity Podcast. And we interviewed uh, one of the co-authors of a recent new book, um, Having the Mind of Christ, Eight Axioms of a Robust Faith. I can tell you um, that book has made a huge difference in my life, and I'm looking forward to asking him this question today, which is this, why are Christians so focused on doing if they believe in grace? And um, Ben, uh, I'm going to try to answer this, but we're really hoping that you can bring a ton of insight. How do you feel about that? (laughs) Well, it's uh, something I've thought about um, a lot. So uh, I'm I'm hopeful, too, that we can have a good conversation and bring some uh, yeah, clarity for people. Awesome. Well, Hey, before we jump in too much, um, how, just give us a little update. The last episode we had you on was about grief. Um, we were kind of in the middle of the pandemic, you know, just update our listeners about your life. Yeah. So, um, yeah, still, um, still a pandemic, um, sort of feels like the after effects of the pandemic. You don't think, we don't think about it right. As much as we, used to, um, but obviously COVID is still with us. And um, I think there are still uh, after effects uh, taking place. So, um, but, you know, as far as my life goes, not a whole lot has changed. I'm still working um, part-time with Gravity Leadership and also part-time with our church plant here in, uh, well, we planted maybe seven years ago. I'm not sure if we're allowed to call ourselves a plant anymore, but, um, but yeah, still working with the church. Um, uh, yeah, here in Indianapolis, and so not uh, not too much uh, has changed. Uh, but you know, we're trying to sort out what the post uh, I don't know post pandemic ministry looks like. Um, we've noticed some subtle shifts in terms of um, how people respond to what we do at Gravity, uh, but also some shifts in how people respond uh, at church to uh, different things that come up. So uh, it's an, these are interesting days um, for you know, for me. So anyway. Well, before we ju- just a quick question about that. Do you ever feel like either you have two hats on as a pastor and kind of a coach mm. consultant, or do you ever feel like you can take one of them off and focus or, I mean, how do you, yeah. is there boundaries or is it kind of meld together like spaghetti? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> that is a good question. I've been thinking about this a lot lately for some reason. Um, but yeah, there's there's benefits and drawbacks to it. Um, a lot of time, because I think the nature of the work is similar. So, you know, the, we use a lot of the same kind of discipleship tools in our local church as we train people with, you know, at Gravity. Um, so so there's some overlap there. Um, it's, it's similar work, um, working with leaders uh, through Gravity, but also just working uh, with, with people in discipleship uh, church environments. Um, <clears throat> So yeah, so there's some overlap there. Um, there are there are weeks though where I wish I could focus on one or the other uh, because I do feel um, pulled in two different directions uh, a lot of times. So yeah, mm. no. Some some days I like it, uh, other days uh, I don't. <laughs> Just to be honest, you know what I mean. Um, so so yeah, so it's it's okay. Um, but yeah, well I'm That's sure we're we'll... doing now. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say it affords us, I mean, the, the thing I like about um, being bivocational is there is a lot of variety uh, in terms of my day and what I get up to um, in any given week. Um, and also it affords us the ability to co-pastor our church. Um, and so I really like that as well, being able to have some co-pastors and not feel like everything lands on my shoulders. Um, I've done that kind of pastoral work before too. And um yeah, that can be, that can be difficult. So, so <clears throat> there is a little uh, method to my madness uh, in the sense of, you know, it. You're someone that's really thoughtful, and the question that we have today, I think, is what so many people struggle with is this idea that Christianity talks about doing and grace, and I think it's good for our listeners to even hear that you kind of wrestle with feeling like 
there's a ton to do. And, you know, to kind of get us started, um, one of the most powerful axioms from the book and that you wrote about having the mind of Christ is God is love. So God is all about love. And I've even people that don't go to church and might even be like against Christianity, like they could fill in that blank. But it just seems that wherever we are, whether we're doubting, deconstructing, consistent followers of Jesus or faithful, wherever we are kind of spiritually in our journey, this seems like one of the hardest things to experience. Why do you think that is? Yeah. So um, say more about your question. What What's one of the hardest things to experience? The, that God is love and he's all about love. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot of, uh, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. I think, um, one, one is that, um, and we, we talk about this in that chapter on that, on that axiom in the book. One is that I think we have sort of covered over, um, some of the, they, when you look at them all together, all the claims of the new Testament about what God is all about, um, and who God is, and then therefore then what life is all about, uh, that it's all about love. I think we've kind of papered over some of those claims and made Christianity into something other than what the New Testament claims that it is. So I think that's one reason um, that that we have difficulty. Um, we don't have a robust under, um, a robust enough understanding of what love is, what real, you know, love. And you know, the New Testament tells us this is how we know what love is when we look at Jesus and we, we look at that, you know, especially the cross, and then we can understand. Okay, this is now we know what love is and we can kind of go from there in a, um, you know, in a sense of kind of discovering what that might mean for us. So I think that's one reason. Um, I think another reason is that the way that we experience God as love can't be very easily divorced from the way that we experience uh, the church and other people. Um, that I think it's actually part of how we are meant to encounter God is through the material world, through creation. And that includes, you know, so, you know, theologically speaking that, you know, the, the Eucharist, uh, I come from a liturgical tradition, so that's very important. Um, but, you know, these embodied elements of bread and wine, we actually encounter God through them. And I think that we're also meant to encounter God through the church, through our relationships with people, with the body of Christ. And I think... Um, you know, the fact that none of us are perfect embodiments of the love of God <laughs> for each other, I think is another reason that we find it difficult um, to experience this, that God is love. And so it's all about love. I think we sometimes think about um, our relationship with God uh, kind of in, I don't know, disembodied terms. We think of it as like, okay, this is something I'm going to do during my prayer time and I'm going to experience God as love you know, maybe we think uh, it's going to happen to me through feeling a certain feeling when I pray mm. or feeling a certain feeling when I go to church. Um, and it's a lot bigger than that. And it's a lot more than that. And I think it's a lot riskier than that because we do have to entrust ourselves to uh, people uh, to mm. be able to encounter and cultivate um, the love, the kind of loving relationships that I think are meant to be icons of the way that God loves us. Not perfectly, but I think we need that embodied aspect of, of love to really understand what it is. Mm. I want to come back to the people part because I think there's, you know, kind of just in your work, not just the book that, that comes up a ton. But, you know, you got me thinking as you were talking that, uh, that I met a, a pastor yesterday and he said one of the questions that he likes to ask people is um, when you imagine the face of God, what emotion does God have when you see, when you see God? And, um, you know, I've just been thinking about that a lot. Um, you know, and even just for my own life, I, I think one of the hazards of growing up Christian is, you know, you can't, you subtly see a God that wants more from you or is disappointed with you. Um, but I, I, I guess, you know, is there a question like that, that you ask people to kind of gauge, where they're at, or even how would you answer that question where you are right now? You know, what, what emotion do you see on God's face, you know, when you pray or, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So we, we um, come at this, I think it's a great question uh, because a lot of us have been taught to, I don't, when we think about who God is, we immediately retreat into our minds um, and the sort of the theological tenets that we know. And so if we know that God is love, then we say, well, I believe that God is love. There's a sense in which that's true. Um, but it does take a little diving under the surface, doesn't it, to understand how we actually feel about God. And so one of the frameworks that's been really helpful for me, we, we mentioned this in the book, I think it's in um, Axiom 2, where we talk about God is just like uh, Jesus, or is that Axiom 3? I think that's Axiom 3. Um, we talk about what what is God like? You know, if God is love, and it's all about love, okay, great. And then if God is always present at work, great. But uh, what's this God like who, you know, is always present at work. And we look to Jesus to, to discover that. And um, so one of the frameworks that we've used to kind of get people out of their heads and into their hearts as it relates to like, how do I feel about God is um, our friend Crispin Mayfield uh, wrote a book called Attached to God. And we mm. use a lot of his um, framework in that chapter where he talks about using, he talks using attachment theory, which is a psychological framework but you use attachment theory to think about this is how we imagine ourselves relating to God, that it's, it's more than just the, the facts that we believe about God, perhaps it, it is, it does relate to the heart. It relates to, and these are things that we pick up. These are things that we don't intend to pick up, but oftentimes do. And so if God is a father, then we're sort of going to automatically impute aspects of our own father, right? Or our own parents, we're going to impute that onto God without really knowing that we are. And it causes us to feel attached or not to God in a certain mm. way. And so we found that attachment theory language to be um, really helpful. And he, he describes quite, um, quite well, you know, things like anxious attachment. And so, you know, we've, we've kind of used some of those categories um, to, to help people, you know, discover how do I feel attached to God or not? Um, and I think that that's been a really helpful uh, framework for us. And it, you know, it gets into, you know, so for example, there's a, there's a way of relating to God. I think this one's called an anxious attachment where we feel 100% responsible for the relationship. Um, so, and we, you know, we've got phrases for this, right? Like if, uh, if you feel far away from God, it wasn't God who moved. Right. And that, I think that's meant to be perhaps encouraging, um, like, oh, God didn't go anywhere. But actually, I think what it does is it loads us up with with guilt. <laughs> Be like, oh, I did. I like apparently. So if I don't feel close to God, it's one hundred percent my fault, and my relationship with God is one hundred percent my responsibility. And so if I don't pray enough, or if I don't go to church enough, or if I don't if I don't do the right things for God or with God, that God will eventually like distance be, become distanced from me, um, and that'll be nothing but my fault. But I think it ends up painting a picture for us, right, of, of a God who doesn't actually care about us, who, who God's, who's indifferent towards us, a God who is like, well, you can be in relationship with me if you want, or if you don't want to, that's fine with me too. Um, it's up to you. And so that kind of anxious attachment is a lot of, a lot of, a lot of us have, you know, and so we feel guilty and anxious if we don't pray for a week or, you know, if we uh, fail to do our quiet time or if our quiet time um, doesn't yield the emotional results that it used to. Like we've got this anxiety about our relationship with God where we can't just rest like in a healthy human relationship. Um, like we would know in a human relationship that that's, that's anxious and unhealthy, right? For, for me to constantly be worried about whether or not my wife and I are connecting on the, on a deep level, like are, are, are we okay? Did I do something wrong? Is there something that I should be doing? Should we go out on more dates? Should we do different things on our dates? Like how can I make sure that I, that our relationship is okay? Um, it's actually healthy for me and my wife to be able to just re relax, you know, just <laughs> we're okay. It's fine. You know, just relax. You can, you know, read a book in the same room and you don't need to, you don't need to be constantly be anxious about it. So that's a, that's a helpful framework, I think for, for me, you know, attachment theory. I, I, I think you said a lot there that connects with our listeners. Um, because I, I think one of the things I'm, I'm hearing you say is, um, and it even goes back to that cliche that comes from a good place, but it's not helpful, um, that, that we moved, maybe God didn't is that when we, 
when we want to grow spiritually um, or when we feel distant to God, the majority of Christians who mean really well will tell us to do something. It's like, you know, oh, you feel far from God, sit in silence and solitude. Oh, you, you know, you, you don't feel like God loves you. You need to go to church more. And, and I guess, what's the alternative to that? Like, if I'm sitting yeah. down with my friend, or even if I'm kind of, I wouldn't say self-regulating, if I'm, I'm trying to self-reflect, um, maybe God has a different way, maybe not. I don't know. What would be the alternative to maybe doing that maybe it's yeah. an American thing or something like that? Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is something about our technological mindset where we, we sort of look at most things as problems to be solved. You know, and so we think about our relationship with God in the same way. If it's going well, it means I sort of feel good about it. And if I feel bad about it or I feel, feel distant from God, which are all the, these are very normal experiences for everybody, we immediately think that it's a problem that I need to solve. And so if I'm trying to help you with that, um, you know, it's easy, like you said, to go into problem solving mode, which is to give advice, to recommend have you tried this spiritual discipline? Have you tried this spiritual discipline? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? And the problem with that is that it keeps that, the whole conversation within the realm of, if you feel distant from God, number one, it's a problem. And number two, it's a problem to be solved. Mm. And actually, I, th I would want to question those assumptions, both of those assumptions. If you feel distant from God, maybe it's not necessarily a problem. Right. And maybe there's nothing really to be done about it, actually. And so I, I would want to ask deeper questions about the paradigm that the person is living in. Right. And this, this is our book. It's 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 about sort of moving from just practices and sort of, you know, treating every um, spiritual problem as if it's, you know, something to be solved through practices and start to start to think about, well, what does this mean about how I think about God? What does this mean about how I think about my relationship with God? Um, you know, so if somebody did say to me, you know, I feel far away from God. I mean, people actually, I'm, I know of, I can think of three people <laughs> in my church right now that are dealing with various forms of this, right? And so we do have conversations about it. Um, the question I would want to ask is to say, oh, well, tell me about that. Like, what's, what's the difference for you? You know, how do you know you feel, how do you know you feel far away from God? Or how do you know you're far away from God? Not, not as a way of challenging, you know, them and saying, you know, you're wrong, but to just to say, let's explore that together. What does that feel like? Mm. You know, what's, what's going on for you that makes you feel far away from God? And then we can, you know, we can move into a realm where maybe we can uncover where there might be a lie at work. Because, um, mm. you know, perhaps, perhaps it's actually growth for someone to, to feel far away from God because they used to have a, maybe it was a fairly immature relationship with God where it was all regulated or, or um, what am I trying to say? Mediated through my emotions. Mm. So, you know, I feel close to God because man, we, you know, we kick into that chorus or the modulation comes and I, I feel really close to God because I have warm fuzzies when the worship music plays, but I don't have warm fuzzies anymore when the worship music plays. Well, like we would totally, if we just said like, well, you know, maybe you can go to a different church or maybe uh, you need to play a different kind of worship music, or maybe you should try some silent. Like if we treat it as a problem to be solved, I think we miss out on the fact that maybe God's drawing me deeper into a different kind of relationship that isn't necessarily mediated through the emotions I feel when worship music is played. Maybe mm. God is calling me into a more secure attachment where I can just rest. I don't need the constant affirmation of good emotions to feel close to God. I can just rest in God's presence with me, whether I feel it or not. Um, so that's just an example. I, I think the alternative for me then is instead of jumping to, yeah, instead of jumping to advice, I would want to ask questions about what that experience means and then maybe raise questions about what it, what it means and does it mean and be able to proclaim, and this is a big part of our practice as well, to be able to proclaim good news to someone. So what, what the person who feels far away from God needs is not, is not advice about how to get close to God. What they need is good news about who God is. Mm. That's what they need. Mm. 
there's a lot of directions I could go. This is um, super <laughs> helpful, but I, I kind of want to hone in. What's your definition of grace or how do you understand it? Because mm. I, I, I think that that probably is going to clarify this question too. Yeah, for sure. I thought of that when, when you told me about the topic, um, that I think a lot of, a lot of Christians have a definition. I don't know if this is a de- definition, but it, it, it is a description of grace. We'll say that. Um, a lot of Christians have a picture of grace um, as if it's sort of just leniency. It's mm. God pulling his punches. It's God sort of saying like, you know what? You deserve this, but I'm not going to give it to you. I'm going to be lenient. You know, I'm going to let some things go. It's God winking at us and, you know, letting things slide. Um, but I don't think that's big enough as a, as a vision of grace. Um, I think grace is, it has to do with God's presence. Um, so grace is God's presence being given to us as a gift. So grace has to do with gift. And I think it has to do with, it's not a, um, and, and the, the gift that grace is, has to do with the person that God is. It's not a commodity that God, you know, gives us. It's not a get out of jail free card, um, that, that can be experienced apart from the gift giver. Does that make sense? So if I, if I give you a gift, Peter, for Christmas and you don't like it and you re-gift it, um, you know what I mean? Like Mm. that gift going to someone else they're going to associate that gift with you, not with me, mm. right? Because they don't know they don't know me. They don't know who I am. But God's gifts are not like that. They're not commodities that are passed around. They're not they're not like um, products that we can use. Uh, God, all of God's gifts has to have to do with God's presence. They have to do with the gift giver Himself. And so, um, so grace then for me is God giving Himself to us. Mm. his presence to us. So, so before, before this last question, I actually wanted to go in this direction. I think it actually works really well. Um, we'll find out. You can let me know. So <laughs> I, I had a professor in college that talked about different seasons and, um, cause we were talking about God feeling distant and two of the seasons were God is distant. Life is really hard. And the other season is God is distant, but life is really good. Um, Mm. the, the life is hard. God is distant. We can come back to that maybe, but I'd actually like to focus a little bit more based on your definition of grace, that life is good, but God feels distant. So you, you, you painted this picture of grace of leniency. So I could look at a really good season, you know, um, I've got a four year old, I've got a 20 month old. And, you know, we're, we're sleeping through the night, you know, things are going well, you know, and, yeah. and just, th- there's a beautiful rhythm and the relationship with my family. But, you know, I, I don't feel, you know, close to God in different ways, just because the time is different, trying to get mornings and stuff. And I, I think that some people in my season would say, God is distant, um, man, I, I must have to work harder, but life is really good. Am I about mm. to walk into a hard time? And I think even your definition of grace, which is God's presence, it's almost yeah. like maybe God's actually giving you permission to enjoy this season because it's so difficult or something like, I, I don't know. Does does that kind of make, yeah. I, I guess I'm just trying to get concrete to something like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I think, I think that, you know, the way that I would talk about that um, with somebody, you know, if they were saying like, yeah, you know, life is good. I'm really enjoying my life, but I'm worried that I'm, um, I'm worried that I'm falling away from my faith because I don't really pray much, you know, or I can't really pray in the way that I used to. Um, and they're kind of worried about that, right? That's that anxious attachment. Um, I think I would probably be again, because God, God's presence comes to us through creation, not in spite of creation, but through creation, actually God created, you know, in my theology, God uh, created the world to be a uh, conduit, if you will, um, for God to communicate God's presence to us. And so um, I think I would encourage that person that perhaps you're closer to God than you think, and that mm. the enjoyment that you feel right now through your kids, through your family rhythms, maybe that is how God is present to you right now. And so 
why not just turn that into prayer? So every mm. time you have a, you know, a wonderful morning with your four-year-old playing blocks or whatever you're doing, um, just treat it as you're, you're, you're enjoying God that moment, mm. you know, just treat it, like, treat it with thanksgiving, honor it as a gift from God, like praise God, thank God for this lovely season. And then it's, you know, it's all communion. It's all communion. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and that, I mean, that works. It's, it's more difficult, but in the seasons of suffering, those are, those are seasons of communion as well, mm. you know, because we know that Christ suffered uh, for us, but also suffered and suffers with us. You know, I think because of the incarnation, we can trust that any suffering that we are undergoing is also suffering that Christ is currently undergoing because of the incarnation, because of Jesus' connection to uh, humanity, like e- eternal connection now to humanity through the incarnation that Jesus is suffering. And so that, that too, even seasons of suffering uh, can be communion as well. When, when in your personal life do you feel like you lean towards grace that's leniency versus grace at God's presence? What does that look like for you? Um, I'm not really sure, I guess, how to, how to answer the question. Um, because I really like, I, I used to feel some anxiety about like, you know, doing the right things with my prayer life and, you know, um, those sorts of things. I think I've just stopped worrying about, I don't know if this is an answer to your question or not, but I, like, I don't know that I think of grace as, as leniency, uh, anymore because I think my, my vision of who God is has changed mm-hmm. to such a degree that I, it's, it's not really, a um, I don't know. I don't feel like it's a category that makes sense to me anymore. Mm. I don't know if that, I don't know how that sounds or if that answers your question <laughs> or maybe I don't understand your question. But <laughs> well, let me, let, I'll, I'll get personal. Maybe, um, this isn't a recent, but you know, as I reflect on my life, um, the best basketball game. I know I talk like I'm six five. Um, should have played for the Indiana Hoosiers, you know where you are and yeah. stuff like that. But God made me five six. Anyways, so <laughs> the greatest basketball game I had. I was a senior. I hit six threes in the first half. Um, it was just awesome. And mm-hmm. I ended the game, and I you know took my shower, got out of the dressing room, and. I was just like, oh man, I didn't do my devotions this morning. <laughs> and and even listening to you now and looking back, um, what would have been like for me to do those devotions out of, wow, God, um, thank you for this huge experience. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this was like, I mean, it's really spiritual. I'm being serious. Like, when when you can't miss like oh yeah you know yeah, it's yeah. You get it, into that flow state oh yeah you know it's going in before it goes in yeah like you know? i took yeah, yeah. i took some bad shots and my coach still <laughs> says anyway and it went in but um yeah but i, I just kind of remember that moment where it was like oh man god was being really really nice to me um mm. i should at least thank him versus you know like what if i went in and said wow like, thank you. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I guess that's kind of what I'm wrestling with your definition of grace. And I can probably come up with yeah. with a, a recent one, but that was like the first thing that came into my mind. Something good happens. Mm-hmm. Man, God mm-hmm. must have been really lenient with me as opposed to, wow. I yeah. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I, I um, yeah, and I think, yeah. I I think for, for me anyway, there's much less of a direct uh, connection between the good things that happen in my life mm-hmm. and God's direct. I think it, it it ends up being problematic if I'm if I'm going to say like, wow, something really good happened, and we directly attribute it to God, like being nice to us or being lenient with us, mm-hmm. because you know, <laughs> then you know the next day something bad happens and we have no other way of understanding what that means except to think that God is trying to teach me a lesson or being mean to me or, 
you know, like I, you know, I don't know. I think it's much more helpful for me to just think about life. Jesus said, Hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Mm -hmm. Like it's just troublesome. Like we've got sin in the world. There are people with terrible motives, you know, like out there, there, there are wicked, there's wickedness and evil and there's suffering uh, based on the brokenness of the world and you're going to encounter it. And it's not that God is directly responsible for you encountering blessings and you encountering suffering. It's more like, hey, life is full of blessing and life is full of suffering. Um, but take heart, for I've overcome the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, you know, hitting six threes in the first half, and I, I play basketball as well, and um, I know what you're talking about. Um, it just feels great. I think there's a way of just rejoicing in that and saying, I mean, I, you know, maybe forget to do your devotions, that, but, you know, it's like, well, you know, <laughs> what are my devotions for? Am I checking a box and is, yeah. God, is God like wanting me to behave? Well, no. My, what are my devotions for? My devotions are just for me to cultivate an awareness of the God who is always with me. And hey, you know, if I hit six threes in the first half and I'm having a great time, then I can just thank God for a body that works and uh, just such the such fun that can be had, you know, playing a sport. Um, and I don't need to worry about checking the devotions box because I, I don't think God's counting those things. I think God's presence is available to us. And I need like, I want to cultivate a deeper awareness of the God who is always present and always working. And so for me, that's what devotions are about. It's just an opportunity for me to cultivate that. Um, but hey, so is giving thanks after hitting six threes. Like that, that's <laughs> cultivating my awareness as well. So. Well, I guess if I ever come out to Indiana, we'll we'll shoot and uh, we'll see who gets. Yeah, to we six. should find a find a place to shoot some hoops. <laughs> where where do you where are you at again? Uh, Rochester, New York. Okay, yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a drive, but anyway. Hey, hey we'll we'll figure it out. Um, we'll figure it out. So I think you bring up something that's really important, um, and I'm glad that you phrased it the way. We base so much of grace, and tell me if I'm wrong, I just feel like I sit down with people that their definition of grace or perspective on grace is on circumstances. Do you mm. do you see that? Or, um, I don't know, like whether it's pastoring or consulting, where it's like, no, I know that God's good news is bigger and better than my circumstances. But then when you start peeling back the layers... It's like, you know, I, I broke up with my boyfriend or girlfriend. I, you know, I lost my job, you know, God must. And some of these are just kind of natural, like, let's at least get them out there. But suddenly I think there is this lie. I don't know. Is is that one of the biggest lies you encounter or are there other ones too? No, it's really big. It, It is true that one of the most people tend to attribute God, like to God, just like good things that happen, things that like good circumstances, you know, maybe the, the, the quintessential sort of shallow version of this is finding a great parking spot during the, you know, (laughs) during the busiest part of the store, like, wow, God gave me a great parking spot. But it's like, no, that's not, that's not how God works in the world. God doesn't work to like move people around. So you get a great parking spot. That's not how grace works. That's not how God works um, in the world. And so, I, I think it's a huge paradigm shift and it is a, it's a big lie that a lot of people believe that, that God is sort of meticulously behind the scenes, controlling every aspect of life for some sort of mysterious reason. And like, we're tr- always trying to figure out what God's up to, you know, figure out what God's doing. And I, it's just a huge distraction. It's just a huge distraction because it's not how God works in the world. And it, it prevents us from paying attention to how God is actually at work in the world. And so this is why I think coming back to grace as God's presence is so helpful is because grace as God's presence means that in every situation, in any situation, suffering or blessing, whatever it might be, I am free to open my eyes and to perceive what God is saying, what God is doing in the midst of this. That there's not, so if suffering happens to me, I don't have to be distracted by trying to figure out why God did this. Mm. I can just rest in the, and it's not easy, but so I don't mean to make light of it, 
but I, I don't have to, that question is a distraction. Why mm. is this happening to me? Why is it's happening to you for the same reason it happens to everybody? It's just, it's in this world, you will have trouble. This world is full of suffering. None of us are exempt. That's the reason. It doesn't mm. have to do with God. That's the reason. That then frees me up to perceive what God is saying to me right now, how God is suffering with me right now, how God is, is what the good news that God is speaking to me in the midst of my suffering is right now. I can actually hear and perceive then what God is doing rather than get distracted by this question of why is this happening to me? Mm. That's super helpful. Um, your last axiom of the book is God transforms us through embodied participation. Um, mm. So I'm actually going to ask you to put on your pastor hat, not your consultant hat. <laughs> um, okay. So, you know, we're recording this um you know, during the Advent season, um, this will come out in the new year. And, you know, so I think you and I both would believe in active participation. We care about habits. We care about, mm -hmm. you know, taking communion in the Eucharist together. Like yeah. we, we feel like those practices form us, but mm -hmm. I think what I struggle as a pastor is the way people hear and receive that is almost so judgmental and it's right. disconnected. So, you know, help. Uh, there are some church leaders that listen, help our church leaders, even help our listeners, like take the habit of daily scripture reading. Like mm -hmm. how does this axiom of God transforms us in um, embodied participation? What's the vision that you would cast for that as opposed to making yeah. people feel like it's just something else to do? Yeah. Yeah, that's such a great question. And I, I struggle with that too, just as a pastor, um, calling people into new new actions, right? But but the, those old lies about what God wants from us um, are, are so entrenched that I have oftentimes, um, yeah, I've oftentimes learned that it, it's not worth trying to call everybody into that at once, mm -hmm. um, but rather paying attention to where different people are at, you know, for different reasons. And so... You know, if, if someone is, for example, you know, detoxing from a, a t you know, or deconstructing, if you want to use that word, like from a toxic vision of who God is, that God is this taskmaster, God cares about you following the rules. And the only way you've ever thought about, say, church attendance is through this lens of the harsh, judgmental God who is going to get you for that, you know, like... If that's the only thing that you have, like, I don't think for me as a pastor, my first move with that person isn't to say, you know what, uh, why don't you come to church more, more often? I think my first move is to say, yeah, like coming to church or the, the need to come to church, like Sunday mornings in general feel triggering to you because they remind you of this toxic vision of God. Maybe there is a season for you to just take a break. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's what you need for your formation. Right. Um, and so you know, for that person, maybe their practice is skipping church. Maybe that's actually important for them right now. So um, does that make sense? I think like I have to pay attention to each person's story and what work has this discipline or this practice done in the past for you? Mm. And I need to be sensitive to that as I call people into it. But I think if I was going to try to uh, cast vision for a, like a positive vision for, uh, you know, some of the traditional practices of, of, Christian faith, um, I think I would, I would cast it in terms of, um, yeah, the opportunity for transformation mm. rather than, uh, something that's going to get God off your back <laughs> or something that's going to like, please God. It's, it's, it's just an opportunity, uh, for transformation. And we have to have the good news of transformation, like fill our imaginations before these practices are, are going to make sense. And this, this is all like um, Dallas Willard. This is me channeling um, 20 years of reading Dallas Willard. Um, actually more, 25 years I think I've been reading uh, Willard. But he, um, he talks about this in, in a lot of different ways, but basically just says before any disciple is going to embrace any of the practices of discipleship, they, they have to have a vision of the goodness of God's kingdom. And if you if you see the vision of the goodness of God's kingdom and the kind of person that I can become and how good it could be, 
well, then it's easy to step into daily scripture reading. It's easy, easy to step into those things because I, I have this telos, this end point in view that's like, oh, this is, I'm participating in a process of transformation that is leading me to flourishing and to goodness. It's not just this box I got to tick to like keep a judgmental taskmaster off my back. I'm participating in goodness as I move, as I move into this. And so another, I mean, another quote I'm thinking about from Willard um, having to do with grace uh, to kind of bring it back to that is um, that was so helpful for me is he said, grace is not opposed to effort. Mm-hmm. Grace is opposed to earning. Mm-hmm. And so grace and effort go together, actually. Gra- grace and effort is the only way we grow. Grace is, is grace and effort is how we're transformed. Like we, ha- we do participate in this transformation God does just didn't does doesn't do it automatically to us. We participate in it, and that's actually. But the only reason that we're transformed is not because of our own strength, but because of grace, because of God's empowering presence with us. But we do need to combine that with our own efforts uh, in order to make it effective for us. So that's been a super helpful quote. Grace is not opposed to effort; it's opposed to earning. I had, not earning anything, but we're participating. I have that post quoted in my office and I have it do all you? over. Yeah, from the, it's so good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And and even what I'm, I'm hearing from you, because I, I think this is important for churches. I think this is important for our listeners to hear. You know, I use Bible reading just because I feel like that's the most concrete in the sense yeah. of, you know, so churches, you know, in January for New Year's resolutions, you know, they want to provide concrete steps. And so they'll yeah. say, Hey, let's read the Bible in a year or hey, let's yeah. you know, let's go through this Bible reading plan or something like that because there there's a need for I want to grow in this, help me out to get there, but sometimes yeah. the larger vision of when you meet with God, you're transformed or let the word of God dwell mm-hmm. richly in you. And so yeah. sometimes I think people leave thinking, well, I just need to read the Bible in the year and I'll be great. And it's like, well, you read a lot and you know a lot, but you're not really a person that people enjoy being around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that brings me back to another thing that Willard said that um, it really transformed my ministry. I'm, you know, I probably even talked about this last time <laughs> I was on just because I talk about it all the time. But, um, you know, but he talked about the, the as leaders, as Christian leaders, as pastors, casting vision for discipleship has to be more than just giving people the means, right? So here's a mm. Bible reading plan. This is how you can be a disciple. It has to be about casting vision for the, 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 you know, like the goodness of God's kingdom. Like what is life like in God's kingdom? And so um, the thing that changed for me was he was talking about the parable of the soils, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the four different soils. So the farmer gath- scatters his seed and, you know, here's what happens in the various soils. And um, Willard's point was, he said, when you, when you preach, just proclaim the good news of the kingdom, mm-hmm. like proclaim how good it is, like get concrete. What kind of goodness results when we participate with God in his kingdom? What kind of people do we become? What kind of a community can we become? Like proclaim that goodness. And he said, there'll be all kinds of people who misunderstand what you're saying, think you're saying the wrong thing, fall asleep during your sermon. Don't worry about any of that. In, but there'll be a few people who say, is that really true? Could that be actually true? Mm. And you can and you can say, yeah, it's true. Well, how do I do it? And he goes, those are the people you work with. Mm. Those, are, those are the disciples. You work with those people on practices. But in the pulpit, just proclaim the goodness of the kingdom. And then that's it. That's how you do ministry. <laughs> I was like, wow, that changes everything for me. Um, so I stopped in the pulpit. I stopped trying to get people to do things. Uh, and instead, I just focused on proclaiming the goodness of the kingdom. Mm. And then when people in our language have a kairos, when people are like, wait a second, really? Then we just say, yeah, let's gather us, gather those people into groups and let's let's grow together. Mm. Let's do two more questions. Um, so okay. the I want to get really concrete because I, I think some of our listeners might be wondering, um, how in the world can I tell if... I'm actually seeing clearly the sin and the things that I'm doing wrong for healthy confession. Um, and one of your axiom, axioms is, is God is always present. And I think that that's super helpful. Um, mm-hmm. But then how do I know 
when I'm going down the road of self-judgment and condemnation that isn't going to help my spiritual life to grow, how do you concretely help people delineate between those two things? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Because they oftentimes, they're uh, concurrent. Um, And what I mean by that is, I I think I've seen in my own life and and the people that I lead, that a, a healthy conviction of sin will 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 come but immediately we add to it the self-condemnation mm-hmm. um so i may have really done something wrong so say i yell yell at my kids i raise my voice yell at them and that's a misuse of my power as a parent and i you know i was harsh with them and i've sinned you know and i feel bad about that so that's like my remorse over over yelling at my kids is is healthy conviction of sin but then immediately on the top of that i feel condemned Mm. because of it, right? I I condemn myself because of it. And so I think messages of self-condemnation are always going to be isolating you Mm -hmm. or trying to, they isolate you from God and from other people. And so in that scenario, maybe the message of self-condemnation is like, you're never going to get any better at this. Um, Mm -hmm. You you are a craptastic dad, you know, and uh, you should just stay away from your kids because you're just causing harm. You just hurt them every time you mm. talk to them. And so, you know, you need to get away from them. So I know those are, I mean, now I know those, those kinds of messages are, are condemnatory messages because they're distancing me from the person that I've hurt. And I'm, I'm only seeking to distance myself from my own shame. Mm. But I think a healthy sense of conviction will lead me toward those that I've harmed. Right. Mm. So a healthy sense of conviction leads me towards my kids to say, Hey, I'm really sorry. I lost my temper with you. That is not fair to you. That's wrong of me to use my power in that way. And I apologize and I hope you'll forgive me. Um, so anyway, I think healthy conviction of sin leads to reconciliation. Mm. And so any t- any time that we notice ourselves um, harshly condemning ourselves, that doesn't lead to reconciliation because that's just, that's just me uh, submitting to this shame, this toxic sense of shame that... Uh, that makes me want to hide. Mm. And so I think anything that, anything that makes you want to hide is probably not from God. Anything that leads you into reconciliation with others is probably from God. What a great way to close this question. And so the last question uh, is, you know, what does Jesus have to say about, you know, focusing on doing versus grace? Um, he hasn't said a lot about it, so I, I don't know how we're going to close this. <laughs> Who knows, yeah. So uh, the way this works uh, is I'll, I'll respond to that question first, and then uh, you can clean up whatever heretical mess I leave. So does that sound oh, good? I'm, yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you you were about to say, oh, no, I won't. And you're like, well, you know, wait for what he I has mean, to Well, say. in case, yeah. D- just in case. <laughs> I, I highly doubt we're going to hear some heresy here. So it, It's all good. Um. You know, so just listening to you, Ben, um, reflecting on this question, you know, and just, um, you know, I, I think we read John 15 about the vine and the branches and, you know, Jesus compares a spiritual life of, of us being, you know, a branch to his vine. And, you know, as I think about this, doing is so focused on making everything awesome and making everything quick. And grace, you know, with God's presence is actually focused a little bit on being boring and slow. Um, and and when I use the word boring, you know, I guess as a pastor, I, I just want Christians to kind of like your life, like it, it, it's there's a healthy amount of boringness of the faithfulness and consistency. But the, yeah. the latter part about being in the vine and the branches, you know, as I listen to you as someone that has experience that has older kids, there's things that you're picking up on Christianity and following Jesus that only being connected to Jesus for decades will do. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we're so rushed in the doing that God's grace is saying, it's not, it's not for us to get to where Ben is or to get to where Peter is or get to where our pastor is. It's about the grace of, God has me where I am right now and he's growing me and it's accumulation process of these little boring things that God does in our life. So I, I guess that's what I'm leaving. And I hope that that's an encouragement to our listeners. 
Yeah. Well, it's encouraging for me. So I, I trust it would be. Um, yeah, I think I, I would, I, I love coming back to John 15. I've been thinking about that since you mentioned it. Um, and I think that what I see in Jesus there and just in my own life and the people that I get a chance to serve and lead, um, I think I would, I would say something just very similar that this, it's not about like our, our spiritual life is not about performing for God. It's about participation in God. Mm-hmm. And so I, that's why I like that metaphor, Jesus metaphor of the, the vine and the branches that there is just an abiding. There's a, there's an intertwining of life. There's a mingling of life that we're called into. And that, that is the work and abiding in the vine. Like, you know, we're going to bear fruit, but we're not in charge of it. There, there's no technology we can employ to like make it happen faster. It's just, it's, it, it, we're, we're not in control. Mm. We're not in charge. And, uh, our, our only task is just to abide, you know, to abide in the vine. And so I think even, it even challenges our no- notions as the notions of spiritual progress that we might have. Like, I think there's ways of talking about it that can be helpful, but, um, there's other ways of talking about it that aren't helpful where we compare ourselves to others or, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, so I think that vision of abiding in the vine is helpful for me because it's that that's my job. That's your job. That's, you know, the baby Christian who just got to know Jesus yesterday, that's their job. And it's just, it's all part of the same thing. We're all just plugging into the vine. We're branches on the vine mm-hmm. and what happens in and through our lives is not ultimately up to us, but, we want to just be connected and that that's the main task and the main thing that we sort of um, are doing in our Christian life is not, is we're not just laying on the couch and sort of trusting that we're abiding, but we are actively participating in this life that God shares with us. And it's not about a performance for God that we're going to get a grade on. It's just about participating in the life that God shares with us. And so I think that's, that's how those things merge together for me. Like any doing that I'm doing, if I'm doing it in grace, I know it's going to be fruitful and effective. Mm. Um, and so that, that abiding in the vine is key. Mm. Ben, thank you so much for your generosity of your time. Where's the best place people can find you? Yeah. So, um, uh, gravityleadership.com is uh, the organization. Um, if you want to email me, you can just email me at ben at gravityleadership.com. That's probably the easiest place to find me and what we're doing. You can get information about the book there as well. So, One thing I'd encourage you all, this is a pro tip. Ben uh, shares an email every Friday with a list of some great resources. So I'd encourage all of you to subscribe to that. I, I check it out and share it with some people. Yeah. So yeah. Good. Yeah, you can find that on Gravity's site as well. Just click uh, join our community, I think, is the link. So Awesome. Well, you can find us at whygodwhypodcast.com. If you click subscribe, you'll get this episode and many others coming to your email inbox each week. Thank you so much for joining us. 